Chapter 3 We are all on our feet now, staring out the window at Simone. We saw right away why she was so upset. Just outside Pete's is a big indoor fountain. Standing beside the fountain was her boyfriend, Justin. He was standing very close to a tall, hot-looking blonde girl, Vanessa Hartley. We watched as Simone approached them. We could see her call out to Justin, then fling her arm around his neck. It wasn't the most affectionate gesture I had ever seen. She's not too possessive or anything, I cracked, watching Justin squirm. He moved away from Simone and nearly fell over backward into the fountain. It figures, said Dawn. If Simone is screaming, it's nothing important. She forgets she's not on stage all the time, agreed Rachel, sitting back down. She's jealous of anyone who even looks at Justin, said Alana. I was still watching the scene out the window. Vanessa had taken off in a hurry. Justin had his arm around Simone now. He was talking to her, those light blue eyes of his flashing close to her face. I'd be jealous too, I joked. Justin is such a babe. I wasn't kidding. Without exaggeration, I'd have to say that Justin was the best-looking, coolest, most popular guy at Shadyside High. And as if that wasn't enough, he was also an all-state baseball player and a team captain of the Shadyside Tigers. Dawn leaned toward us and lowered her voice. Can you guys keep a secret? Well, I can't any longer. She took a long dramatic pause before saying, I went out with Justin last week. Alana's jaw dropped open, which meant she showed us a mouthful of chewed cheese and pepperoni. You did what? she asked. Justin Stiles? I couldn't help exclaiming. As in Simone's boyfriend? Hey, Dawn said defensively. It's not like I tried to steal him away from her. He asked me, so I went, she shrugged. We had a good time, too. I'll bet, said Alana, staring wistfully out the window at Justin. I'd say yes if he asked me. Wouldn't you, Liz? Sure, I agreed. If he wasn't seeing Simone... Oh, what are you, a Girl Scout? Dawn sneered. What about you, Rachel? Alana asked. What would you say if Justin asked you out? Rachel cracked a tiny smile. He already asked me, she said. Alana's jaw dropped open again. Rachel's smile broadened. I said yes, she added. The hills are alive, sang Robbie Barron, flouncing around the stage, with the sound of music. He was surrounded by laughing nuns. They were waiting to rehearse an Abbey scene, but Simone hadn't shown up. She was late for the 900th time. To pass the time, Robbie had started doing an imitation of Simone. He was wearing Ava Clark's black and white hood and was dancing around like a madman. He did look pretty funny with his thick black-framed glasses. When he finished singing, he said, That'll teach Simone to be late. He looked at his watch and scowled. I wonder if our little Maria realizes that it's hard to rehearse without the lead. How do you solve a problem like Maria? The kids played the nun sang back. Robbie laughed, but not for long. I know how I'm going to solve the problem. I'm going to wring her neck. I was there because I was in charge of sets. I wouldn't be caught dead acting in front of an audience. I bet if I did act, that's what I'd be. Dead. I'd drop dead from stage fright. Right then, I was standing in the wings, painting a flat to look like the wall of the Reverend Mother's Abbey. This week, after the two murders, this week, after the two murders, my overprotective parents let me out of the house at night for play rehearsals only. Hey, Lizzie, Robbie called. Do you have any idea where your friend Simone might be? Oh, sure, I answered sarcastically. When she's in trouble, she's my friend. Come on, don't give me a hard time. Robbie sounded as if he was out of patience. Do you know where she is or not? No, I don't. Sorry. Well, this is getting ridiculous, Robbie continued, checking his watch once again. This is late, even for Simone. It was true. Being late was part of Simone's style. No matter what the occasion... She always ran at least half an hour behind. Two days had passed since the nominations for prom queen were announced. 
I hadn't seen much of Simone or any of the other nominees since that afternoon at Pete's. We hadn't left on the best of terms. Maybe she forgot she had rehearsal, offered one of the nuns. I reminded her three times today, Robbie answered, and I yelled at her about being late. He pushed his black-framed glasses back up on his nose. But still, knowing Simone, it's possible she forgot. He sighed dramatically and fished some change out of his jeans pocket. Ava, he said, would you mind calling Simone's house? There is a payphone outside the principal's office. Ava was gone for several minutes. No answer, she announced when she returned. I dropped my paintbrush into the coffee can filled with water and peered out into the house. Justin liked to watch Simone's rehearsals. He was usually slouched in the back row of the auditorium. Not that night, though. I stood up. I'll go look for her, I volunteered. Maybe she's somewhere around the school. I jumped off the stage and started wandering through the empty hallways. There weren't many lights on, and there was absolutely nobody around. I don't scare easily, but walking around empty hallways in the dark has never been high on my list of fun things to do. Where would I be, I asked myself, if I were Simone and I had forgotten about rehearsal? First I tried the library, but it was locked. Then I headed for the gym downstairs. Sometimes she hung out there waiting for Justin to finish baseball practice. I opened the door to the stairwell. It sure was dark down there. You'd think they'd keep a few lights on when people were still using the school. I hesitated for a moment and then went in. The heavy door shut behind me with a very loud click. Suddenly wary, I turned and tried the doorknob. The door had locked behind me. I suddenly felt a heaviness in the pit of my stomach. I didn't want to be locked in a stairwell in the dark all night. I prayed that the gym would be open. I groped my way down the darkened stairs. By the time I got to the bottom, it was just about pitch dark. I was waving my hands around in front of me in slow motion, trying to feel my way. As my eyes adjusted to the darkness, I found the door to the gym and turned the knob. Locked. I'm trapped in here, I thought. I can't get out. I, I can't breathe. No, I could breathe perfectly fine. I scolded myself for overdoing it. Calm down, Lizzie. Stay calm. My heart was pounding like someone playing on a tom-tom. I began to bang on a locked door with my fists. Come on, somebody, anybody, let me out. I pounded for several minutes. No response. There was no one else down here. Simone was probably on stage now, singing her little heart out. Would anyone miss the set designer? I doubted it. I tried to tell myself to stay calm, but my fear took over. A wave of terror swept over me. I had to get out of there. I had to. I started to pound again with all my might. When that didn't work, I started screaming. I had screamed twice when I heard footsteps approaching on the other side of the gym door. I stopped screaming, and I listened. I should have felt relieved, but instead I became more frightened. My breath caught in my throat. My head was throbbing. It's the killer, I thought. He's been hiding in the gym. He's heard my screams. He knows I'm all alone, trapped in here. And now he's coming for me. The footsteps grew louder. I knew I should run, but before I could move, the door was pulled open. And I screamed again. Chapter 4 What's the matter with you? Why are you screaming like that? It was Mr. Santucci, the school's maintenance man. He gaped at me, his expression more frightened than mine. Well, why did you come down this way? He asked, studying my face in the dim light. The store is locked. I I'm sorry, I stammered. I was looking for someone. There's no one down here, he said, shaking his head. It's all locked up. You gave me a scare. I apologized again, feeling like a fool. Why had I screamed like that? Why had I let my fear take over? My heart still pounding, I followed him through the empty gym. Still grumbling, he let me out one of the back doors. As I was walking through the parking lot, I heard a familiar sound. 
The tennis team was practicing. Dawn would be there. Maybe she had seen Simone. Just as I started toward the courts, the gate in the fence opened and a girl came out. She was too far away for me to see clearly, but I could tell she was tall and carrying a tennis racket in one hand. I got a little closer and could make out long blonde hair, and then I recognized her. Dawn! I called. She looked up, startled, and barely waved. She opened the door to her mother's red Camaro. I jogged over to her. She wasn't going to take off without saying hello, was she? Dawn! I called again. Have you seen Simone? She held on to the car door. Not since school, she called back. She tossed her racket into the car and slid inside. Hey, wait a sec, I called. She pulled out. I had to jump to the side as Dawn backed up. I waved my arms at her as I ran towards the car. What's the rush? I called as she rolled down her window. Sorry, she said. What's up? I was looking for Simone. Yeah, well, like I said, I haven't. Dawn! I was only a few feet from her now, close enough to see her face clearly. It was scratched and bleeding. She looked as if she'd been clawed by a vicious cat. It's nothing, Dawn told me, catching my open-mouthed stare. What do you mean it's nothing? You've got... I was right up beside the car now. You've got blood all over your tennis whites. Oh, well, nothing a little detergent won't. Yeah, but what happened? Dawn revved the motor. I was hitting with Marcy. Turns out she's got this wicked ground stroke. She kept hitting it deeper and deeper. Then I crashed against the stupid fence. It's nothing. It looks a lot worse than it is. But listen, I've got to get home because, oh, well, because I'm late, she finished lamely. With that, she pulled out. I shook my head. It seemed as if she was hiding something, but I had no idea what it could be. Lizzie! I turned. It was Ava, waving to me from across the parking lot. Standing near her were several of the other cast members. I could see Robbie climb into his car and slam the door. I couldn't find her, I yelled back. Ava nodded. Rehearsal is canceled. We have no idea where she is. I suppose I could have gotten Mr. Santucci to open the auditorium and let me finish painting the abbey, but at that point I was no longer in the mood. I headed for my car, planning to drive straight home, but then I remembered that Simone lived in North Hills, which is near the school. I decided to stop off there on my way. Maybe Simone was home by now. Her parents' big Lincoln was parked in the driveway. I pulled in behind it. I scooted out and ran up to ring the bell. Mrs. Perry's face appeared beside the drapes, checking to see who was there. Then the door opened. Hi, Lizzie, she said distractedly. How nice to see you. She was wearing her coat. Please come in. Mr. Perry walked in from the hall. He was also wearing his coat and was glancing through a pile of mail. Lizzie McVeigh, he exclaimed warmly, as if he had been waiting to see me for weeks. I always thought Mr. Perry was a nice guy. Simone is up in her room, Mrs. Perry told me. At least, I think she is. We just got home, but I saw the light on up there as we drove up. I smiled and thanked her as I mounted the dark, thickly carpeted front stairs. Nice going, Simone, I thought. She must have totally forgotten about rehearsal. I slowed down as I neared the top. It was dark up there except for a strip of light coming from under Simone's door. Simone? I called. No answer. Probably listening to music with her headphones on. I crossed to her door and knocked. Simone? It's me, Lizzie. Can I come in? Still no answer. I knocked one more time. Then I opened the door and gasped in horror. The entire room had been torn apart. The room seemed to tilt. For a moment, I felt as if I were about to fall. The first thing I focused on was Simone's old teddy bear. It lay on the floor near the bed. Its head had been ripped off and white stuffing poked up through its open body. The bearish, glassy black eyes stared up at me blankly. The rest of the room quickly came into focus. The floor was cluttered with Simone's belongings. The sheets and bedspread had been pulled off the bed. 
A lamp lay broken on its side at the foot of her desk. Papers were scattered everywhere. One of the white window curtains had been ripped off its rod. It looked as if a terrible struggle had taken place. Uttering a low cry of fright, I started to back away. But then I saw the most horrifying sight of all. On the carpet near my feet was a large, dark puddle of blood. Chapter 5 I didn't scream. I came closer to fainting. I could smell the blood near my feet and rushed through the room to the open window. I needed fresh air and fast. I stuck my head out, gasping for air. And that's when I saw him. His figure was illuminated for just an instant by the Perry's back porch light. A man, running across the backyard into the woods. He was carrying a big gray sack in his arms. I stared as hard as I could into the darkness, but he ran out of view. And then I finally began to do what I thought I would have done right away. I began to scream. The next afternoon after school, I was back at Simone's house. So were Justin, Robbie, Elena, Dawn, Rachel, and a couple of others. The police had wanted to question all of Simone's good friends. Even with all the people in the Perry's living room, the room felt empty. We all missed Simone. No one had seen her since the day before. The police hadn't arrived yet. No one was saying much. Everyone was pretty scared. I got up and went into the kitchen. I wanted to see if I could help Mrs. Perry, but mostly I wanted to get out of the living room. Oh, Lizzie! Mrs. Perry gave me a brittle smile as I walked in. She was arranging peanut butter cookies on a plate to serve to all of us, but I could see that her hands were trembling, and her mascara had run slightly. The police will be here any minute, she told me. I'll get that, I said, taking the cookies from her hand. It was as if she needed something to hold on to to keep her calm. Her hands started to shake even more now. She lifted them to cover her face. I'm sorry, she said. It's just that I'm so scared. I knew what to do when kids started crying or acting out. I could usually joke them out of it or hug them or whatever till they felt better. Whenever Rachel got down, for instance, I always used to say, Your feet stink. It was so stupid that it made her laugh every time. When adults freaked out, I was totally at a loss, though. Obviously, I couldn't tell Mrs. Perry that her feet stank. I just stood there helplessly as Mrs. Perry began to cry. Luckily, Mr. Perry came into the kitchen at that moment. He quickly put his arms around his wife. Simone's going to be fine, he whispered to her. No, she won't, she sobbed. Mr. Perry tightened his grip around her. Whoever kidnapped her only wants money. We'll give him whatever he wants, and that'll be the end of it. I could tell he didn't really believe it. What kind of kidnapper left a puddle of the victim's blood all over the floor? A killer, that's who. Like the guy who had killed that girl, Stacy, who was found in the Fear Street woods. Mr. Perry tried to smile reassuringly at me over his wife's shoulder, but his face was very drawn. There were big, dark bags under his eyes, like a raccoon circles. Please, just tell everyone the police will be here any minute. I headed back into the living room. All the kids stared at me as I went into the room, as if they were hoping it might be Simone. I shrugged. They say the cops will be here any minute. As if on cue, the doorbell rang. Two police officers were standing on the front porch. Mr. Perry hurried in from the kitchen. His face lit up when he saw them. Any news? he asked hopefully. One of the officers, a tall lanky guy, shook his head. The other one, a short, dark-haired woman, frowned. Mr. Perry's face fell. He showed them into the living room and introduced them to all of us. Then he said, I'll get my wife, and left. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Officer Jackson, the tall, lanky one, told a large group. He looked almost as worried as the Perrys. Do you really think it's a kidnapping? Dawn asked him. Officer Jackson shrugged his narrow shoulders. I could hear Mrs. Perry blowing her nose in the kitchen. We hope so. 
Officer Barnett offered with a tight little smile. But we also have to be prepared for... For the worst, Officer Jackson finished her sentence. Right now we've got several officers out combing the Fear Street Woods. We all stared at one another in silent horror. The Fear Street Woods, where they had found Stacy. The woods where... An image flashed in my mind from the TV news. The blue body bag lying in the muddy ravine. If there were people in the room who didn't believe it before, they did now. We'd never see Simone again. Rachel caught my eye. It was as if she wanted me to tell her this wasn't really happening. I tried to be reassuring, but as horrified as I had been when Stacy had been found in the woods, it was nothing to what I felt now. This was Simone, someone I had known since kindergarten. Mr. and Mrs. Perry were walking toward us, Mrs. Perry carrying a tray of cookies, and Mr. Perry holding a pitcher of milk. Mrs. Perry bit her lip when she saw the police. Mr. Perry took the tray from her and set it down on a coffee table. Robbie Barron reached out and took a cookie. Everyone stared at him. How could he eat at a time like this? He bit into the cookie, and, in the silence of the room, everyone heard him chomp. He glanced around and saw everyone staring at him. He put the rest of the cookie down. Just then the telephone rang. We all jumped as if we had just gotten an electric shock. Mr. Perry bounded out of the room. He came back a moment later. Just my secretary, he explained, grim-faced. Okay, Officer Barnett said, taking a large black notebook from her belt hook and flipping it open. Let's get started. We need any information that might be helpful in finding Simone. Anything, she added firmly. Everything is important, understood, her fellow officer added, his eyes surveying us one by one. I nodded vigorously, as if it were really a question that needed an answer. Then Officer Jackson said, Who wants to start? They stared at us. We all shifted uncomfortably in our seats. This was worse than when a teacher asked a question and nobody raised a hand. A lot worse. Okay, let's start with where you all were last night, suggested Officer Barnett. She turned her eyes to the boy sitting closest to her, Justin. Justin appeared very nervous, even more nervous than the rest of us. Uh, I was, I was at... Why does he sound as if he's thinking up a lie, I wondered. I was at Ilana's, he finally said, studying. I mean, you know, we were doing our homework together. I stared at Alana. That was a shocker. Alana caught my glance and blushed. She turned away. Who asked who, I wondered. I bet it was Alana who asked Justin. She probably didn't like it that Justin had asked out Rachel and Dawn and passed her over. I glanced at Mrs. Perry, but she didn't seem surprised. I guess she had a lot more in her mind right then than whether or not Justin was cheating on her daughter. I was working all afternoon, Rachel said, at the 7-Eleven, then I was at home. I was playing tennis, Dawn told the police. She glanced at me. I remembered her bloody tennis whites, but she had explained that, the accident with the fence. Officer Jackson was looking at me expectantly. I was working on the set, I began. The set? he asked. Simone's school was putting on the sound of music, Mr. Perry interjected. The policeman nodded. Go on. I already told this stuff to the police last night, I said. Tell us, Officer Jackson said patiently. I told the whole terrifying story again. How I had stopped to find Simone. How I had found her room all torn up. About the blood on the carpet. And how I had to run to the window for air and had seen a man running away in the darkness. Now, Officer Barnett said, this is very important. Can you remember anything about what the man looked like? Anything at all? Everyone was staring at me. I felt myself begin to sweat. It suddenly seemed up to me, and me alone, to catch Simone's attacker. I tried in my mind to stare out Simone's window again, but I couldn't picture the man. He was a dark blur, a dark, frightening blur. I shook my head no. This sack he was carrying, Officer Jackson asked, how big was it? I knew the question he was really asking. 
As big as a person, I said. Mrs. Perry gasped and raised her hand to her mouth. Robbie, what was wrong between you and Simone yesterday? Elena asked tentatively. I mean, it looked like the two of you were really having a big argument. All eyes turned to Alana, then Robbie, then back to Alana. It was nothing, Robbie mumbled. It didn't sound like nothing, Alana said. You were really mad at her for always showing up late for rehearsals. You said she was wrecking the whole production with her lousy attitude. You said if she didn't start coming on time, you were going to stuff her nun's wimple down her throat and... Of course I was arguing with her, Robbie interrupted shrilly. Who didn't argue with her? She was impossible. That word made me wince. Robbie, I said. We all stole glances at Mr. and Mrs. Perry. Robbie blushed bright red. Sorry, he said. I didn't mean to. I mean... Let's keep going, Mr. Perry said, stone-faced. After everyone had said where they were the night before, Officer Barnett turned back to Justin. Did Simone have any enemies that you know of, she asked, anyone who would want to cause her harm? No, he said. And the last time you saw her was? At lunch, yesterday. And she was? Upset, said Justin. Very upset, thanks to. He glared at Robbie, who said, oh, please. Finally, after an hour of questioning, the policewoman snapped her notebook shut. Thank you, all of you. If you think of anything you want to add, call us at the Shadyside Police Station. If we're not there, leave a message and we'll get right back to you. Officer Jackson nodded to Mr. Perry as he and Officer Barnett headed for the door. Everyone in the room was standing up, ready to go. No one wanted to hang out a minute longer than they had to. When I got outside, I was startled that the sun was still shining brightly. The Perry's front lawn was green and cheerful. It seemed so strange after what we'd just been discussing. Everything looked fine. I put my hands above my eyes to shield them from the glare. I watched Rachel head for her car. She was walking arm in arm with Gideon. Alana passed me on my right. Horrible, huh? I said. It was all I could think to say. Alana barely looked at me before she walked on. Wait a minute, I said, hurrying to catch up with her. There was a long line of cars in front of the Perry's house. Alana was parked near the end, and I was right behind her. I didn't say anything till we got near my car. I just wish there was something I could do, I said. I mean, we were, are, some of her best friends, and... Listen, Alana said brusquely. I've had it up to here with this, okay? I can't talk about it anymore. She opened her door, got in, and slammed it shut. Wow, I thought. Talk about not sticking together in a crisis. I stared after her as she pulled out. She was staring straight ahead and didn't even wave goodbye. Her face was frozen. Then it hit me. She was frozen with fear, just like the rest of us. And Alana's way of controlling fear was to pretend that bad things didn't happen. I pulled out my rabbit's foot key ring and fumbled putting the key in the lock. Then I heard footsteps behind me, footsteps pounding along the pavement, running toward me. And then I heard a voice shouting, I killed her. I killed her. Chapter 6 I whirled around. Racing toward me was a stocky guy in a tan windbreaker that flapped behind him as he ran. His face was contorted in agony. His arms were outstretched, as if asking forgiveness. Very funny, Lucas, I said. Lucas Brown was one of the weirdest kids I'd ever known. Even his last name, which is about as normal as you can get, was weird if you thought about it. Lucas Brown had short brown hair and brown eyes to match, and he usually wore, you guessed it, brown. His eyes were set a little close together, so he seemed a little cross-eyed. That wasn't the half of it. Lucas once told me that he kept a diary of gruesome deaths he heard about on TV. Falling crane, chops woman in half, that kind of thing. He thought stories like those were funny. He said they cheered him up. Cheering up was something he usually needed in a big way. He was almost always in a black depression. And why not? 
The guy had zero friends. None that I know of, anyway. Right then, he was laughing so hard, I thought he was going to fall over. Gotcha, he yelled. What an unbelievable creep. I turned my back to the car door. Hey, he went on. I can't believe it. You really believed me. I spun around and faced him. You have a twisted sense of humor, you know that? Oh, come on, Lizzie. It was a joke. A joke? Simone has probably been murdered. I know, he said, his face darkening. I thought he was upset about Simone, but then he said, Doesn't mean you have to give me a hard time if I make a stupid joke. I had trouble not screaming. I don't believe you, I said. Can't you stop thinking about yourself? I mean, don't you even feel a little bit bad? You used to go out with her. Lucas raised his eyes to the treetops. Yeah, I did, he said bitterly. Thanks for reminding me. He was standing really close to me. He grabbed my arm and started to pull on me. Let's go get a Coke, he said. Lucas's magical touch with girls. Don't ask, give orders. I need to talk to you. No way, I told him. He blinked. I could tell he was hurt. He said, okay, you're right, now's not the time. Let's just go to my house and make out. I pulled away from him angrily. My upper arm was aching where he had squeezed it. It felt as if I had just been given a triple booster shot. I stared at him as icily as I could. Then I got into my car and slammed the door. He tapped on the window. He was smiling at me. It was a wicked smile, as if he knew something I didn't. I pushed the window button, and the window rolled down an inch. Lucas bent over so his dark eyes were in a line with the crack. Was that a yes or a no? He cackled. You really crack yourself up, don't you? I said. I'm just so funny, I can't help it. About as funny as a rubber crutch. It was the only insult I could come up with. I think I heard it when I was in the third grade. Someday, I'd like to gather a whole bunch of really great insults. I'd use them all on Lucas Brown. Lucas jammed his hand in through the open window crack and wiggled his fingers near my head. I pressed the remote control button and the window shot back up. With an angry cry, Lucas quickly yanked his hand back. Then I peeled out. As I drove away, I could see him still standing there, still staring after me. What a sicko. He's so crazy. I couldn't imagine what Simone had ever seen in him. Then I remembered that Lucas was on the Shadyside High baseball team. He was one of the pitchers, and he sometimes played first base. When Simone dumped him, Lucas was pretty bummed. He went around saying Simone had used him to get to Justin. Lucas wasn't the only kid who said it. Most kids agreed that she had. It was easy to see why. When Simone started dating Lucas, no one could believe that she really was interested in him. She did show up at every baseball practice, supposedly to be with Lucas. Meanwhile, her visits gave Justin a chance to check her out. Simone wasn't subtle. She always wore her sexiest outfits to every game. The minute Justin asked her out, Simone dropped Lucas like that. I used to defend Simone when people said this stuff behind her back. But considering how messed up Lucas was, it made sense that she only went out with him to get to Justin. I turned on the radio and searched for a soft, soothing song. Instead, I heard... No break yet in the case, but the Shadyside police insist there is no reason to link the disappearance of 17-year-old Simone Perry with the recent deaths of Stacy Alsop and Tina Wales. No reason? Sure. Except for the fact that it was obviously the work of the same psycho. I snapped the radio off. Something was bothering me. Something stuck in my mind. Something I had begun to remember, but then forgot. Lucas, Justin, Simone going to baseball practice. Baseball! The team! Yes! The dark blur, the running figure carrying the gray sack. The picture suddenly came a little clearer. I pulled the car to the curb and tried to catch my breath. I had just remembered something very important about the man I saw running away through Simone's backyard. And what I remembered scared me to death.